Hey, this is Mike Rhodes, co-author of The Ultimate Guide to Google Ads, and you are listening to The Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, and thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message indicating you're a listener so I won't mistake you for a spammer and ignore you, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. I do this podcast to help me and my listeners keep up with the latest ideas that matter most in the quickly changing and somewhat overwhelming world of modern marketing and sales. My day job is running a marketing agency that helps manufacturers and industrial companies grow their revenue. To learn more about the problems we solve and how we do it, visit salesartillery.com. All right, enough yakking. Let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome Mike Rhodes to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book, Ultimate Guide to Google Ads, published by Entrepreneur Magazine. Mike Rhodes is a Google Ads evangelist, entrepreneur, international keynote speaker, and teacher. His Melbourne, Australia-based digital agency, Web Savvy, has been building and running campaigns for businesses and brands around the world since 2006. Web Savvy is now Australia's largest independent Google agency, top 18 Google partner, and a premium Facebook partner. He also teaches hundreds of agencies how to improve what they do, both the technical side of how to do Google Ads better and how to scale their agencies through his paid traffic training and coaching forum, Agency Savvy. And interesting fact, he was once a helicopter pilot. Mike, congratulations on (laughs) Ultimate Guide to Google Ads and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you, Douglas, for that wonderful introduction. Happy to be here. You're not by any chance related to Cecil Rhodes, are you? I'm not. I have looked back all the way to the 1600s to uh, to see on ancestry.com if that was indeed something, but no, no, not a relative of mine. Quite a common surname, apparently. Oh, really? England back in the day, yeah. Well, as I read the book, Thanks to you, I had to go down the Cecil Rhodes rabbit hole and read his entire <laughs> Wikipedia page, which was really interesting. And I, I knew a little bit about that and uh, didn't know um, most of what I read, but it was a very interesting bit of uh, African and, and, and English history. So the ultimate guide to Google ads. Okay, I know the listeners might be thinking, I'm never going to be go- doing Google ads or we don't do Google ads, but wait, almost everything we're going to talk about as it relates to Google Ads, whether you do Google Ads or not, is going to help you from a marketing and or sales standpoint. And it's just like a few weeks ago, I interviewed Bob Regnerus about Ultimate Guide to Facebook Advertising. And sure enough, almost everything we talked about was about how to be a better marketer as evidenced in the most effective uh, uses of uh, Facebook advertising. So What's more, if you're a marketing person, the boss may come in one day and start asking you questions about Google Ads, 
you kind of need to be conversant in this, uh, even if you're not running Google Ads. And uh, if nothing else, if you've been exposed to Google Ads and you all have, you'll start to better understand uh, how it all works. And I received not just one book <laughs> from Mike Rhodes, I received two. So I only read one of them. So another, the second one is going to be awarded to a listener, and here's how you can win. Share this interview from the Marketing Book Podcast website, not necessarily Spotify or iTunes or whatever. Share it on LinkedIn and thank Mike for being a guest and somebody who's able to get some good engagement with their following on LinkedIn. I will send this to you anywhere in the world. And I guess I should give a preference to um, listeners in Australia and or England because you're originally from, from England. So, But anyone in the UK as well. Anywhere in the world. Yeah, anywhere okay. in the world. Around the world. So before we get into a discussion of the book, I know this may sound like a, a bit of a curveball, Mike, but I just want to ask you a couple context questions that you sure. may get a lot of the time. Do you have a sense for what percentage of uh, searches these days uh, are on mobile devices versus desktops? It completely depends on the platform that you're talking about. If you're talking Facebook, which we're not today, but Facebook's probably more like 95% mobile. Mm -hmm. uh, for Google, it's pretty much half and half. Oh, and okay. obviously a bit, a bit of tablet in there as well. Okay. And uh, it seems to me like a lot of people forget about <laughs> mobile uh, when they're, when they're uh, you know, working on websites or, or ads like this. Mm. What percentage of search traffic is owned by Google versus, you know, the others, Bing, Yahoo, et cetera? Excuse me, that's my killer attack golden retriever. <laughs> You've trained guy. it to bark every yes. time the word Google is mentioned, right? <laughs> um, it depends which report you read, but sort of 93, 94% pretty much as an average. It varies a little bit country by country, but pretty much all of it. Pretty much all of it. Okay. And the last thing I wanted to, or one of the other things I want to ask about, the, the percentage of searchers who click on, okay, when they go to a search, they click on the pay-per-click ads versus people who click on the organic listings. I've heard in the past that it's maybe 5%. I guess it varies quite a bit by the, the topic, but do you have a sense of what percentage click on the organic, the natural listings versus the paid? I, I so want to add so many qualifiers and segment that audience of people using Google into chunks to answer that question properly. The, the, the quick answer would be roughly 20%, but it really depends on both the nature of the search. So how much intent is there, intent to buy? And if it's a, a very informational search, then you're not going to see many ads because many people are not going to bid on that. It's not going to be profitable to do so. Mm -hmm. If it's a, a real bottom of the funnel search, like, I don't know, um, Samsung 75-inch OLED TV, <laughs> then they're, they're, you're going to have four ads at the top, a whole bunch of shopping ads, and you're not even going to be able to see an organic link without scrolling. So in those instances, it's going to be higher. And yes, if you're selling physical products, you know those little shopping ads, those little square images where you see a, a little bit of a description and a price and the name of a store that typically are across the top of the page and sometimes down the right-hand side, they get something like, depend, again, depending on which report, report you read, uh, something like 70% of paid clicks will go to those. So 
customers, users of Google love them. So Google love them, clearly, because they're making more money from those, and they're encouraging more and more advertisers to use them. But yeah, they will get a huge percentage of clicks because you've got that additional context. You're seeing the thing that you want to buy. You're searching for, I don't know, um, Elsa kids lunchbox, <laughs> which I have a few of. Um, and you're seeing that lunchbox with a picture of Elsa and Anna on the front. And you can see the things, I don't know, $15.99 or whatever it is. And you've got that context. So you're more likely to click on that than to scroll down the page and click a text link that kind of promises what you're after. But we are visual creatures. So you know, those shopping links get an, an oversized portion of the clicks. Interesting. Sure. And Sure enough, recently, uh, after 23 years, my dryer passed away. I'm having to <laughs> buy a lot of appliances lately. Um, and I, so I bought a new uh, dryer. And uh, when I was on my tablet, I was uh, seeing uh, a lot of those ads. And I'm, I must have been clicking on them because that's exactly what I wanted. Um, but, you know, I have ad blocking software on my desktop. So I don't think mm. I'm seeing pay-per-click ads uh, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, do you have a sense for how widely uh, used ad blocking software is? Yeah, there's there's some really vague sort of research on this because obviously there's ad blockers. Then people can clear cookies. It's obviously different on mobile and desktop. Uh, I I don't know the absolute latest stats, but I think somewhere around ten fifteen percent. And this is going to change, right? I mean, we're right in the middle of this huge spat right now between, oh, between Facebook and Apple. Apple, Apple, and Facebook in particular, but Google are going to get caught up in that oh. as well. And Apple have made this brilliant strategic move because they're not ad supported to say we are all about privacy. And of course, now Google and Facebook are kind of running to catch up and go, yeah, 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 uh, yeah, we care about privacy too. Of course we do. Yeah, no, privacy is <laughs> really, really important. Um, but we just want to do it in such a way that enables people to find useful ads because you know and i keep wanting to remind us that the free internet is is ad supported for good or bad let's not have that debate um you know i, I once saw an advertising guy on tv here in australia basically draw the line between uh, advertising and democracy and all the other advertisers on the panel kind of started laughing him down and he was absolutely dead serious like it, he he believed that that is a fundamental pillar of a democracy. Anyway, let's not go there. Well, you know, that's interesting <laughs> because I think in Australia right now, Facebook and the news media have been in a knockdown drag out fight. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, we have just been told that, uh, yeah, of course, every side is claiming this as a win, but uh, Facebook are going to back down on this sort of huge move that they made to not just block news. The problem was that nobody had actually defined what news actually is. And so if you owned a, a dog grooming site and you wanted to post a link back to your latest blog on your dog grooming site, you are not able to post it. I've been trying to post useful links just in, in my own Facebook group this week, and I can't post any link in a, a comment on Facebook. So they're going to walk that back. They're going to, they've now copied Google and said they're going to pay a billion dollars to uh, to news media over the course of the next three years. The problem, though, with that is that, yeah, well, yeah, we could spend hours on this, but they, that money isn't going to go to independent journalists. It's going to go to the big, huge companies, the Murdochs of the world. Um, and Google and Facebook didn't kill their business model. <laughs> yeah. That started happening 20 years ago for other reasons. All the way around, it's the law of unintended consequences there. Mm -hmm. Strange times that we're in. Well, let me just read this uh, 
one excerpt that I've picked, uh, and then sure. uh, we'll get into um, some of the specifics. If the internet matters to your business, then no book you've ever bought has more potential to make or save you money than this one. This book is written so you can blow through it fast and get going immediately on your plan to make serious money with Google insider marketing tactics. That's the fun part, quickly implementing killer tactics that will flood your business with prospects and profit. But there's a serious side too. I've held nothing back here. So not only will you know how to play the Google ads game, but you'll also discover how to craft powerful marketing messages and hooks, bond with your customers, and dominate your market. In this book, you'll discover tragic, costly mistakes that almost (laughs) all Google advertisers and online entrepreneurs make, and how to easily avoid them, including techniques Google should teach you but doesn't, how to disaster-proof business startups and product launches and pound the risk out of new ventures. Most times, you've only got one or two shots to nail it. Why would you want to leave anything to chance? Profiles of successful online businesses. Having coached hundreds of online entrepreneurs to success, I've accumulated a list of vital characteristics that separate the winners from the losers, many of which defy normal business school wisdom, in quotes. How to create ultra-persuasive Google ads and web pages that not only convert visitors to buyers, but automatically improve with time as well, making it impossible for your rivals to catch up with you. And the advanced but simple shortcut secrets of getting deep, into your customer's head so you know exactly where their hot buttons are and how to punch them at will. The result is fanatical customer loyalty and a rabid customer base that eagerly buys almost everything you ask them to buy. If you're already advertising on Google, you'll get 30% to 300% more visitors for less money than you're paying right now. While many hardcore Let's get after it types will mark up and dog ear this book for later reference, you can start seeing results while you're reading it. There are shortcuts you can use tonight and see the results before you go to bed an hour later. Your business can literally improve by tomorrow morning. So strap on your crash helmet because you're in for a wild ride onward crash helmet, just like a helicopter pilot would ride. Although I think Perry wrote that part, Perry Marshall. I think think you might be right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to go to page 16, and this is where you remind, you and your co-authors remind folks that your website is not a brochure. Uh, measurable Ooh. objectives drive everything. You know, specific yes. goals tied to your greater purpose drive your marketing and your website. Can you remind listeners why addressing why you're in business needs to be at the forefront of your marketing efforts? Well, yeah, it comes back to why do you even have a website? You, know, you didn't build one one day because you thought it would just be fun. Um, let's face it, every time we rebuild websites, we pull our hair out for weeks longer than we intended. And we've just been through this yet again as a business. I, I don't know. Oh, your own site. Version. Oh, yeah. I don't know which version of that we're on. I mean, it would be at least seven or eight. I actually, we had an all hands meeting the other day and I pulled up from um, Wayback Machine. I pulled up the very, very first website I built for Web Savvy 15 years ago. And it is embarrassingly awful. I mean, really, really bad. But it did have some calls to action on there. So at least even 15 years ago, it wasn't a brochure back then, which I guess is a good thing. I mean, (laughs) you're not doing it for for fun. You're doing it because you want a result from your website because you realize as a marketer that these days, the website plays a part in just about every single customer journey. Yes, even those referrals and that word of mouth that you get that we all know is the absolute best way to build a business. Even if someone refers you, they're going to pop along, check out your website, make sure you don't have two heads, make sure they they like 
what you're saying and the way you go about it, yes, it probably won't make a huge difference at that point because they're a warm referral and somebody said, you really must go and check out Douglas. He's amazing. But they're still going to come along and check out your website. So you want to add value to those people at that point. You want them to do something. It might be just read half a dozen blog posts. It might not necessarily be to fill out a form or to buy a product, but you want them to do something. And we get to measure that. At least right now we do. That may change in the future. Um, measurement may get less precise in the future because of the Apple uh, little spat that's going on that we mentioned before. Yeah, I but think there's a lot of webs. There are a lot of websites where nobody has answered the question, why do we have a website? <laughs> yeah, and, well, and they probably haven't answered the question, what's the goal of the business? Yeah. Like, what is the objective here? What are we actually trying to do? Oh, we're just trying to, um, well, yeah, sell stuff. No, you're not. <laughs> why, why do you exist? Yeah. What why problem do you, do you solve for customers? Right. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, beyond that, let's talk about the, the, the growth, you know, knowing what your growth plan is. And I was wondering if you could yeah. share with us the story about the small manufacturing company in uh, Adelaide, South Australia, mm. that, that made doors and windows. They, oh, they, you did great work for them, and then they realized, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I love getting these phone calls. Like three months in, Seb called me and said, I don't know what you're doing, but can you just dial it down a bit, please? The boys on the factory floor can't keep up. So yeah, they made doors and windows and shower screens. And uh, I met them through, I used to speak at this radio gig. So I, I was sort of brought along as the digital guy back in 2007, because they weren't talking about digital at all. And so this was a very strange type of conference, actually. We did about half a dozen of them a year. It was fabulous. I did this for nine years. It was really what built my business initially, because I was there as the radio-friendly digital guy, and they were all tipping you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars into radio marketing. And then I come along and go, well, there's this thing called Google Ads. You know, you can put your ads in front of people that are searching for the exact product that you sell. And they looked at you like you had two heads, right? Yeah, and you only pay if they're interested enough to click on the ad. I mean, what a concept instead of this spray and pray approach that you're doing with radio. And they were doing letterbox drops and yellow pages, obviously, back then. This is, you know, 15 years ago. And so we started running some ads for, for Seb, for the, his company down in Adelaide. And the increase in interest in the business in actual orders was immediate. And yeah, the, the boys on the factory floor couldn't keep up. It was a fantastic phone call to get. But that's the wonderful thing about Google Ads. It is like that tap. You can just wind it down. And then when things get slow, you can wind it back up again. When COVID hit, one of our biggest clients in the States was actually five times busier than normal. And so we got the phone call from them of, could you turn everything off for a bit, please? Because we just cannot keep up with demand. And we did. And then get to about September, October, we started winding things back up as that was naturally winding down. So we were able to wind Google up to, to replace that. Or if somebody has switched websites, this happens all the time. They used to get a fair chunk of traffic through SEO, through organic traffic, people clicking on that free link on Google. And then they go build the new website and the new website designer hasn't got a clue about SEO, breaks all of the links, messes the whole thing up, and all no. of a sudden they disappear <laughs> off the first page of Google. It happens every day. And yet still, web designers are doing that. So then we get called in to like, can you, can you fill in the gap? Because we used to get 2,000 people a day come through the website, and now it's 200. 
what do we do? Well, let's turn on Google Ads for a few months while you're getting your SEO sorted out. And then they discover that actually Google Ads is, is actually pretty good and it's profitable to run. So why would we turn it off again? Let's let's keep on going. Maybe maybe we'll wind the budget down a little bit, but let's keep on going because if you can tip $1 in and take eight out, why do you want to stop doing that? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, let's let's touch on, it. You know, again, these are going to be the easiest questions you've probably ever gotten in a podcast, but <laughs> remind listeners why knowing how much your customer is worth over time as well as the cost of acquiring a customer is so important mm. and not just for Google ads. For anything in business, right? If, and, and unless you are some VC funded unicorn going to be with just tens of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to burn, um, please don't do that. Please don't just set fire to your money. Please measure the outcomes and understand if a, if a customer is going to be worth roughly $2,000 to me over the lifetime of that customer, and we need to come back and define lifetime, put a pin in that, we'll come back to that, then it does not make any sense to spend more than $2,000 acquiring that customer. Probably doesn't make sense to spend more than 1000 or maybe 500 Your timeline for your investment is critical. And like any any investor would tell you this, any even day traders would tell you this, you've got to think about the time frame that you're thinking about things here. So if a customer is worth two grand to you over a lifetime, but that lifetime is 50 years, we probably need to, to invest less in buying that customer. If, you don't want to wait 50 years to get your money back. So we'll often talk about maybe a three-year lifetime value or even a 90-day payback period. Mm -hmm. So if this customer is going to be worth $200 to me over the next 90 days, now how much do you want to invest in acquiring that new customer? And we do generally want to focus on acquiring new customers. Yes, you can use Google Ads to, to get back in front of your old customers, and that can be very profitable as well. But if you're doing email marketing well, you're doing a lot of other types of marketing in your business well, Google Ads really is often about acquisition and new customers. And so you want to be very deliberate in how much a new customer is worth to the business and also be very clear about when you're going to recover that money, essentially. Because if you can get paid back for acquiring that customer in seven days, assuming there are no other constraints in the business, assuming you don't have a bunch of lads on the shop floor trying to make shower screens really, really quickly, then you can keep investing and keep investing. Because if you're making that money back really quickly, and again, you tip a dollar in and you pull two out or five or 15, you know, different businesses have different metrics. But if it's profitable, why would you want to slow that down? And I, and I think that is changing. I think when I started, everybody still had a you know, picture the pie chart that a lot of marketers still had. And it said, here's your marketing budget for the year. And this slice is for TV and this slice is for radio and this slice is to go test out Google. And we would be told all the time, oh, no, 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 we, can, we can't invest more than 10 grand a month into this. And I'm like, yeah, but you're tipping in 10 and you're making 100. Why do you want to stop at 10? Well, because I have to. That's my budget. Yeah, but why? It doesn't make any sense. Well, it sounds but, like uh, you were talking maybe more to a marketing person than to the business owner. Possibly. Possibly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, you know, let's well, let's talk about pay-per-click, but you know, Google Ads and your book, it's not just about pay-per-click. There's uh, quite a bit on display ads, uh shopping mm. ads which you touched on there, YouTube ads, YouTube. even yep. Gmail ads. So there's quite a bit more than just pay-per-click, although that seems to get most of the attention. As it relates to pay-per-click, you write that it boils down to three indispensable elements, which are bidding, targeting, and messaging. And mm-hmm. as it relates to messaging, I was wondering if you could explain uh, why the key is figuring out your prospect's intent, their intent. That just seems to be one of the linchpins of much of what is in the book. Yes, it is. It is. So if we if we think about the, the mythical marketing funnel that we can all picture without having to draw anything on the whiteboard, the people at the bottom of the funnel, they're the people with the highest intent. They're the people that are ready to pull the credit card out of the back pocket and buy today. So high commercial intent, you know, that Samsung 75-inch OLED, blah, 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 TV with a, with a make and model number in there as well. Like they know exactly what they want and now they're just looking for a place to buy. So that's super, super high intent. But the person typing in the word TV, well, that could be anything. That could be someone looking for the TV guide or a kid doing a homework project or anything in between. It doesn't matter that they are intending to buy a TV. Now, that doesn't mean it's a bad keyword. It just means if you sell TVs or Samsung TVs or whatever, then that isn't a very useful keyword for you. So a, a good mate of mine who used to work at Google for 10 years, Fred Valles, says there's no such thing as a bad keyword. There's just a bad bid. So if you were to go bid $2 to get a click on that TV keyword to show an ad to someone that is searching for TV, that isn't a smart use of money, probably, because, again, payback period. This person may not be looking to buy a TV for years. So you, why, why bother showing them an ad today unless you're in the business of generating awareness? So there's a, there's a huge distinction here between demand generation and demand capture. Usually when we're talking pay-per-click, and I think by pay-per-click, you're, you're sort of referring really to, to search ads, right? There is this yes, huge, yes. a huge difference, uh, many, many different types of ads that you can show to someone within the Google ecosystem. Search ads, we want them to be profitable. So we tend to start by trying to show to people with the highest commercial intent, those people at the bottom of the funnel. I use the uh, metaphor of the archery target all the time because we can all picture that as well. So start with the bullseye. Spend as much money as you can there. Get profitable there. In other words, only buy those keywords that are in the bullseye of your business, those ones with the highest intent. And then when you've got that bit sorted, then you move out to the next circle on the archery target and you go test that and you make that profitable and you figure out what messages need to be shown to those people who are a little bit less aware of the thing that you sell. And you get that working and then you move out to the next circle and on and on and on. Mm, that's a great metaphor, and I don't remember seeing that one uh, in the book. Uh, but that also applies to businesses where, you know, let's say you're pro- producing content, maybe for your sales team or for your website. Mm. Start with the customers that are ready to buy right now, and then work your way out. It's a, it's a, it's the exact same thing. I'm stealing that, Mr. Rhodes. Well, it's, it's it's very expensive to to educate a completely new market, not only about what your product is, what it can do for them, why they should have it. It is much, much easier to go after a market that is already educated, that already knows that this product can help them. I mean, I go back to my my early days of, of building the agency. If somebody 
called me and, and you sort of talked about you know, some of your audience this way at the beginning, somebody that, that I've heard of Google Ads, but I don't believe it works. I don't believe it will work for my business. I'm like, great, see ya. But, yeah, but, but don't you want to sell me? Don't you want to? No, I haven't got time to convince you that this thing can be profitable for you. There's loads of people over here that already know that this can work for their business, but they know that the way they're doing it right now isn't working very well, but they are already convinced that this tool can help. I want to go help them. I'm, I'm, I don't want to have to convince you that you should try this out. You are not my ideal customer. See ya. <laughs> yeah. It's, and again, knowing who your ideal customer is, I see lots of companies that uh, don't give that a whole lot of thought. And there was one other gem at this part of the book where you say, remember, your ad's only job is to get them to click on it. It's your website's job to persuade yes. them to take action and buy. Uh, chapter five, uh, page 29, was one of my favorite chapters. Okay. It's vanquish the thickest competition with a killer USP. And I was a former New York ad man, so you know, you, we always talked about USPs back in the 80s. You write that the business ventures that fail the fastest are the ones that have no USP, if you would, explain what a USP is. Yep. So unique selling proposition. Most people agree is the, the definition of USP. There are slightly different words that get used in there. But essentially, why you? What makes you different to all the other people that do what you do? Now, we all think we're such a special snowflake. And <laughs> oh, no, 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 I have no competition. And nobody does what I do. But in the eyes of the customer, who doesn't really know all of those subtle little nuances, we all look the same. Like, yeah, people that do podcasts, well, they're just, po no, 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 but our podcast is different because of this. Agencies, well, we're different to those other agencies because of this. No, 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 you're all the same. You're all just a bunch of geeks. Microphones, well, microphones are all the same. No, 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 there's huge differences. Like you could spend $2,000, you could spend $20 here, but I just, I just want a microphone. I don't, I don't know. The customer often doesn't know how to buy. So we have to point out, how we are different, why we're different. And if you can use words like only, you know, if you are the only business that can lay claim to this or the only business that does this particular thing a particular way, um, EOS, you're probably familiar with EOS. Many of your listeners will be familiar with EOS, Gina Wickman and yes. the book Traction. Mm -hmm. um, so in there, he talks about um, uniqueness being, look, three things. You want to have three things in your business and look, one of those things, maybe lots of other businesses do, but it's the combination of those three things that makes you unique because it is difficult these days, seven and a half billion people on the planet to be completely and utterly unique and nobody has ever seen that before. Well, now we're back to having to convince people because if it's that amazing and new and no one's ever seen it before, you're going to have to do a lot of education and a lot of teaching to just to get people to understand what the heck it is that you sell. So... Um, you want to probably start with a product and a service that people already know they need. I love that word already in there, by the way. They already know. They are already somewhat convinced that this is something that they need. But, but now why you, essentially? Why should I buy from you and not from all those other guys out there? Right. And that's like the person that called you up and says, are you going to sell me? No, I, <laughs> no, I need people no. that are already uh, somewhat converted. And you talk, uh, now again, this is a Google ads book and we're talking about some of the basics of marketing, uh, the power of a USP. And I, I, I can't resist. I've just got to read these. You give examples of, of, uh, of what can make for a powerful, unique selling proposition. 
You're right. You're unique because of the buyer you serve. You're unique because of what you sell. You're unique because you have an unusual angle. You're unique because of what your product or service does not do. You're unique because of the time frame around your offer. And you're unique because of how you guarantee your product. And each one of those has a a rather large uh, section on it. So, But let's move on to uh, conversion tracking. Um, Mm. On uh, page 46 that, again, aviation, okay, you write that the difference between a novice airplane pilot, presumably helicopter pilot as well, and a veteran is that the beginner pilot relies on sight and gut feeling while an experienced professional relies on their instruments. So explain what that has to do with conversion tracking and what happens when people don't even do conversion tracking. Well, okay, I'll come at this two different ways. Let's, let's do the first bit, and then I'll talk about the machines as, as the second bit. So you must track outcomes. If you are just relying on your gut to say, well, I'm not really sure, but we tipped five grand into this thing, and, well, I think the phone rang more this week, or I think we got a few more leads in, but no, no nobody looks at that. Nobody's tracking that. I mean, I don't think there's a, there's a business around that says, Oh, I don't really care how many how many people came in this this week, but everybody just keep doing what you're doing, and you can all have pay rises. And um, we're going to buy this new factory over here and invest in this. But um, but there are companies doing that. Number of customers? No, we we, we, we look at the number of customers that we have, or how many new customers we've had. Just everyone, just keep going. I I I don't. I think that there is. Yeah, this phrase is overused about making data driven decision making. Um, most of the time, the entire decision is not completely made on data, right? So the, here I'm going to actually, in some regards, go against what we've said in the book, in that you do end up using a bit of gut feel, but we think that we've made the whole decision based on gut feel, and we haven't. The short list of options put in front of us by somebody or the data that we choose to look at that's going to inform that gut decision there's an awful lot of data that goes in there we want to know how many new customers have we had in the past month or quarter how does that compare to previous quarters are things trending up or down that then informs our decision making so from a google ads point of view we can go much 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 more granular than that and we could go into all kinds of nuance here around how much of that is accurate versus useful um, and talk about attribution and all kinds of other things. But essentially, we want to know what am I getting for everything that I tip in? Because if it's not profitable to do so, if you're tipping in 50 grand each month and it isn't doing anything for the business, why on earth would you continue? We, We need a way to measure outcomes. There's lots and lots of different ways that we could measure it. But if you're an e-commerce business selling products, that's generally going to be how many products did you sell and what was the revenue and how much revenue do I get? How much profit do I get, which is far more important than revenue? Mm -hmm. And if you're a lead generation business, well, how many good leads came in the door as a result of this spend? And we can work out what we're spending per lead. And if we know what those leads are worth to us because we did the work earlier to figure out, well, what time frame are we talking about and what is the average customer worth to me and how many leads do I need to turn into one customer? Well, then we know if this is profitable. And then we're back to 
well, even if it's not profitable, even if it's marginal, and maybe we're running at break even, at least then we can make a sensible decision about whether to continue. Or better yet, what happens if we cut the budget in half? See, most people just want you to spend more and more money. Most agencies and probably Google and Facebook want you to spend more and more and more money. The whole game is set up to say, look, if you spend a little bit more, we can send you a few more leads and a few more sales, and they want you to focus on averages. But a smart marketer is going to say to you, well, actually, you know what? That additional 10 grand that you want to spend, you're really not going to get much for that. Chop the budget back a little bit. Your return will be better. You'd be better off investing that 10 grand somewhere else. Mm. So it's about optimizing that spend. Yeah, and it, I'm wondering if a lot of people think, oh, we have to get this conversion tracking perfectly. I, it seems like if you just get started with that, it would yes. help. And this conversion tracking chapter, folks, it's only 10 pages long. <laughs> and there's a lot of white space and bullet points. So just in those 10 pages, you can start to say, oh, maybe, yeah, maybe we could look at that. But the thing that really got my attention, Mike, was this story at the beginning about a company where, well, I guess it was a marketer who said, I think we're not actually getting any Thing from these ads we're running, it's not the people that are buying from us. And it turned out they were wasting $300,000 a year <laughs> advertising yeah. to people that I think they stopped it and nothing happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, I read the same about a business recently, a big, big business uh, listed company that stopped their Facebook ads. And they were amazed to see how little impact that had on their bottom line and a fortune that they saved on the top line so um but you've got to test these things you can't make those assumptions and you can't say i know this doesn't work or even i know this is the best thing we've ever done you need to continually test those assumptions and try new forms of this you know different you mentioned messaging before try different messaging or have we tried youtube yet uh, gmail ads are going away july 1 so don't worry about gmail ads, oh i didn't but- realize that okay um, but the game is always changing. Google yes. is always changing their side of it too. And I need to just finish, close the loop there because I opened it and I didn't go back to it. But machines are doing more and more of this stuff. And we know machine learning is only as good as the data that it gets. And there are so many stories out there about you know, biased data sets. And I'm sure your listeners have read the stories of you know, Amazon's hiring system and the, the biases that it had. Well, it's the same. If we're going to ask the machine to basically go spend our money for us to invest our budget for us, we need to give it really good data so that the machine understands what to do next because we're asking the machine to optimize for us. Now, we have to get very, very smart as marketers to optimize for the right thing. You know, machines are getting very, very good at giving us answers and they can give us any answer, but our job as humans is to ask the right question. Yes, yes. So let's move on to something that's of great interest to me as a more of a content marketer, and that's uh, keywords. And mm. keywords are the, as you write, the heart and soul of Google ads. And keywords mm-hmm. are the foundation of your ad campaign. You write, get the right keywords in place from the beginning, and everything that follows becomes much easier. And I would say keywords are also the heart and soul of effective content marketing. So could you, would, you, would you explain what a keyword is and some of the things that people should know about how to find the most profitable ones? Yeah, sure. So there's a really important distinction if we're going to talk about keywords between what a keyword is and what a search query or a search term is. So the keyword is the thing that you control. That's the thing that you put in your Google account. And you're basically saying to Google, I want to get in front of this type of person, please. 
the search term or the search query is the thing that the person actually types into Google. So think of the keyword as the magnet and think of the search terms as the iron filings. And if the attraction is strong enough, the magnet will pick up the iron filings if they're close enough together. So if the keyword is, I don't know, dog training, and somebody types in, how do I train my Labrador? Google might look at that and go, yeah, close enough. Go on then and show your ad to that person. But if the person is then typing in dog food, Google's saying, yeah, no, I don't, I don't really think that's the intent behind that. That's not what they're looking for. And it probably won't show your keyword. I say probably because that's getting quite murky and quite fuzzy in that area in between there. Google has got much, much more latitude than it used to to figure out who your ad is going to be uh, applicable to and, and who it's not. That's a whole different conversation. But um, keywords are essentially what you control to decide, for the most part, who you're going to show an ad to. Google still gets to um, make that final call to say, yep, your keyword is close enough to that search query, at which point then that triggers your ad to show to that person, but based on a bunch of other factors, not least how much you're willing to pay for that click if and when someone clicks. Google obviously is in the business of making money. So it essentially runs off and runs a little auction off to the side and goes, all right, you 17, you're all eligible. Um, this person searching over here is very, very similar to the keywords in your accounts. Right, what have I got? What have I got? Bid, 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 one $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1, $1,
if, if you're really good, if you, in other words, are showing an ad to people that lots of people click, Google says, well, you're good for my users. I like this. This means more people will come back and use Google. I'm going to give you a little bit of a discount, and I'm going to show your ads more often. And the flip side of that is if you write an ad that, that people just are not clicking on. Google says, well, hang on, you're, you're giving my users a terrible experience. I need to penalize you in some way. I'm just going to charge you more and more and more and more over time. And I've seen people spend $20 a click in a market where they should be spending a dollar a click because their ad was so bad and they've continually been penalized by Google. But they didn't know that because Google's just going to say, look, if you want to show your ad, you're going to need to spend a little bit more. And so they blindly follow that and they up their bid a little bit and they spend a bit more. And then Google says, yeah, you're still, you're still kind of terrible. It doesn't obviously show it in that, in that language. It basically just says, no, bid's too low. So they, they increase their bid. Yeah, bid's too low. And they increase their bid with no thought to what is this person worth to my business? We're back where we started. It's marketing 101. That's right. And that's where it seems like hiring a, a firm like yours or someone th to help. And we're going to talk about that uh, just before we end. But it's so interesting. In other words, the, the value you could add by going, that could be added by going to an expert almost could possibly pay for itself because it's very interesting. You talk about the quality score and this is what I want people to, <laughs> to make sure they understand. The better your ads perform, the cheaper they get. And I can't think yeah. of any other <laughs> thing in the yeah. business world. No, no, no TV station has ever called somebody up and went, you know what that ad you put on last night? We had so many people love your ad. We're going to charge you less tomorrow night. Yes. So the Does better it were, the better your whole program is, the less they're going to uh, charge you because it's better for the people visiting Google. Which is ultimately good for Google. Now, you probably throwing things at your screen or you've just you've stopped jogging and you're looking at your device going these two are idiots what are they talking about google is in the business of making money my listeners know that i am they're, they're still making up their <laughs> mind about you <laughs> maybe the fact you've decided to come on this show you know maybe maybe that says something skewed things that way <laughs> right, right but yeah you can believe that google have modeled this that they have done the maths and that they are thinking maybe longer term than many other businesses Ultimately, it is good for Google if they put ads in front of people that people want to click. You know, they believe a good ad is useful information. An ad shouldn't be annoying. It should be useful information, which is why they're desperately in the middle of this spat with Apple, desperately trying all of these things with silly names like Flock and Turtle Dove and all of these weird things to try and make sure that they still have some data on the people that are clicking onto ads because the more they can personalize ads, the more ads will click and the, the better the experience. Now, there are obviously vastly different sides on both sides of, uh, of that argument. Some people think there shouldn't be any ads at all, and which is why you use ad blockers. Other people, <laughs> like, I, I never want to see an ad for an HP laptop ever again. I am never, ever going to buy one for me or my family in my life. And if I never see one of those ads, I'll be quite fine with that. I see their ads on TV at night. Even when I'm watching catch-up TV, unfortunately, I would love to never see one of their ads again. But as long as I can keep personalized ads on my machine, then I'll see ads for things that I want to buy, like the new iPad Pro or some new noise-canceling headphones or, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. So you talked about testing, and I, it, I mm. think people would be surprised at just how much they can test as it relates to their creative, their, their ads. Oh, and <laughs> you write on here this one section of the book, on page 82, you write, most of us make the mistake early on of thinking we already know 
the single best and most compelling way to describe our product or service to our mm. prospects. But different people resonate with different kinds of ad copy. It, just like the shoe and the, the motorbike you were talking about. And there's, I think there's 10 different ways that you can test your creative. And it even includes things like uh, empathy, <laughs> simplicity, <Yeah. laughs> scarcity, and urgency. I mean, really granular things. So that's a uh, specificity. Oh, it was just, it was just amazing. As a former ad guy, when I saw this sort of thing, I thought, oh my goodness, this would have terrified people back at the old, uh, <laughs> at the old ad agency about the idea of, of testing them. It was, it was a good racket while it lasted, uh, Mike Rhodes. I, and, and yet, and yet the smartest guys, like if we go back to Claude Hopkins and scientific advertising and a hundred years ago, um, E. Holderman Julius was, was testing coupons in magazines and that, particular product that was advertised in that black and white magazine a hundred years ago had a very specific coupon code down in the bottom corner and when people would cut that coupon out and mail that back in with their dollar bill they would tally up the numbers for which coupons got used because that told them information about which particular uh, copy was used in the ad and then they would tweak that copy and then in next month's magazine that would go out with a slightly different headline or a slightly different tweak, a slightly different hook, and then they'd wait, and they'd wait for people to cut out the coupons and then mail them back in with a dollar, and that was a hugely slow but incredibly profitable process. E. Holman Julius was a multimillionaire in his time with, I think, the, the equivalent today of over $100 million back in, in 1910, $1920. Mm. Hugely successful, but very, very slow. The wonderful thing about Google Ads, this is what I got addicted to, having done a bit of uh, option trading back in the back in the day. What I loved about Google Ads really early on as a direct marketer was the the speed of the feedback loop to be able to try something and know sometimes within hours if that was a a good thing or a bad thing. I mean the golden rule of Google Ads for me is more good, less bad. And we can't know for sure. There is no such thing as completely 100% accurate data, but we can get very useful data to help us make those decisions much, much faster than we used to. Yes, in just a few hours, you can test out product ideas and uh, names and, and things like that that in the past, uh, a research firm would have been paid big bucks for oh, and given yeah. months to work on. <laughs> and they would have run focus groups and yes. they would have set surveys, which are all biased in their own way. I and mean, one of the very first people to use it in that way was Tim Ferriss, who very famously used Google Ads to test the title of the four-hour work week. Well, that's right. Yes. Yes. That was probably close to 15 years ago. Yeah, right. So let's talk a, a little bit about landing pages. Uh, years ago, back when we did a lot of advertising, television advertising, before mm. before we got on board with this this uh, fad called the internet, and we had an HVAC client, and I know at, when we were doing all the you know, advertising for them, they were paying somebody to run Google uh, search ads, mm -hmm. and it was just sending them to their homepage. And I, this wasn't something that we did at the time. And I remember the client complaining because I don't, I don't think it's really working. And every ad was just going to their homepage. Explain why that's a bad idea. And I guess I was a little surprised to see it in your book. Is that still, there's still a lot of that going on where people are just mm -hmm. running ads and then sending them to a, a bland homepage? Well, uh, it's the word bland that's critical there, right? And it's a bad idea generally because most people's landing pages are really set up as the front page of the brochure. Uh, it's usually got some sort of headline like, welcome to our website. And it isn't designed to 
convert. It's designed to maybe, at best, sift and sort the visitor by saying, look, you can go over here and view our services or read our about page or go over here if you really want to contact us. But it's generally, as you say, quite bland. And it's often designed from an SEO perspective. In other words, designed to rank as high as possible on the free part of Google. But it isn't usually designed by a direct response marketer to convert as many people as possible to a lead. Whereas if you were to choose a page, a landing page on your site that doesn't even have to be seen by all the people that come in the front door of your website, you can have a hidden landing page that only traffic from Google will ever see, which is fantastic from a testing point of view because you get to test out new ideas, maybe new prices, new ways of talking about your product, new products that nobody else has yet seen. And you get to test that and see if that's a good idea or not. And for a few hundred dollars, maybe a few thousand dollars, you throw a bit of traffic at that and you go, yeah, that was a really bad idea. Let's let's not go spend 250 grand uh, creating a TVC and, and running that for four weeks. We've just been told by our market that this is a terrible idea and this, this isn't going to fly. Okay, back to the drawing board. Let's go test something else. So you can, again, it's feedback loops, right? It's, it's speeding up that feedback loop and not sending a survey out to someone and saying, we've got this lovely product. Do you think you would buy it? Because everybody will say, oh, yes, I would buy that. But when it comes time to actually collecting the cash, crickets. Yeah. Do you think you would buy it, mom? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> yes, dear. If you told me to, I would. I'm so yeah. proud of you, son. That's right. And, you know, <laughs> it mercifully. <laughs> What's that? What is it you do again? I really don't understand. <laughs> My mother always asked that. So you even have on here, uh, give your web developer the day off, create your own landing page where, because I, I sense a lot of people say, oh no, I have to go back through IT or I have to, no, you don't. <laughs> you can, you can do, there's, there's all these different uh, brands like lead pages and unbounce where you can just do your own and add it on there. So uh, there's no excuses, people. There's no reason why you have to make landing pages so uh, difficult. But let's move on. We've talked about understanding searchers' intent, which is really important for the the search ads. Hmm. Let's talk about how to reach people who are not necessarily searching. Can you explain what the Google Display Network is? Sure. So the Display Network is a, a network of around about 2 million websites and about a million apps. So huge websites like CNN and Oprah.com that you've heard of, all the way down to tiny little blogs and forums and little websites that you or I have never heard of and will never visit. But Google knows who they are. And essentially, the, the publisher, the website, They've looked at this and said, yeah, you know, like we spent all of this money and we create all of this content. Wouldn't it be lovely to make a little bit of money from our website? You know, there's this thing called Google AdSense and we can get some code and we can put some code on our website. And the geeks can figure out how to do that. And then when somebody lands on our website, Google will look at everything it knows about them and everything it knows about us and our website. And it will figure out which ad to put on the page and show to that particular person. And then the next person will see a different ad. And the next person will see a different ad. And, on, on, on. and Google will split the revenue with you if somebody clicks on those ads. And so for some businesses, this is a huge monetization strategy for them. And you know, many businesses are built on this. This is their only monetization strategy. We'll put ads on our site. We'll get traffic there somehow, maybe through some form of organic traffic, you know, traffic that we're not paying for. And then some people will leave our site by going out through 
one of these ads and the ad network will pay us to do that. So us from an advertising side, we get to design ads, put them into the Google system and, and choose the type of person that we want to get those ads in front of. Um, I'll go back to appliances. So there is a targeting method where I can say to Google, hey, Google, put this ad in front of everybody that is in the market for a new washing machine. I don't know who they are, but you, Google, you do. Based on their searching history, based on their browsing history, who's in the market right now to buy a new washing machine? Go put my ad in front of them wherever they are in Texas. Off you go. Thank you very much. And so you give it the ad and it will go and follow these people around. And whenever it sees someone that it believes is that right target on a website where it's able to put an ad, it'll match those two together. And it's getting very, very good at that. And again, you only pay if they're interested enough to click on your ad. Yes, that's the old school banner ad, folks. And yes, an awful lot of that doesn't get clicked on. Yeah, maybe one in 500 people are going to click. But you only pay if someone clicks. So it's free branding up to that point for you, the advertiser. And because it's targeted, it's not as annoying. I think where people you know, still tend to think of banner ads is those really annoying ads that you know, the internet started on. But if an ad is well targeted, if, if you're seeing an ad, I mean, maybe it's that those noise cancelling headphones on that website that you were on yesterday that you haven't bought yet. And there's an ad reminding you about that special deal on those headphones that is probably going to be useful to some of those people that started shopping and didn't quite get around to it. You know, the, the kids came in and needed something or there was an accident or they had to, it, they were actually back in the office and they had to quickly put something else up on the screen because the boss walked into the room. Um, they haven't finished shopping yet. And so being reminded of that product that you were researching that you haven't bought yet could be useful. At least that's what Google think. That's dynamic remarketing ads being shown and and then if you click on that, you'll come back into the cart, you'll buy that product, and everybody's happy. Well, let's talk a little bit more about what you just touched on there, remarketing. There's a whole chapter on remarketing, and you explain that it is the single most profitable online advertising strategy. Can you explain more about how remarketing works? And it's funny that you mentioned some noise-canceling earphones. <laughs> I just bought, <laughs> I bought some uh, recently, and sure, I think it was on Facebook, but I had clicked on one of their ads, and I had seen it, and I thought, oh, that's what I need. It was, it was one for, um, it has like, uh, you can listen to audio, I guess it was Bluetooth, but it also, if it's something got too loud, like if you were at the rifle range or something, uh, it actually shuts off the, all the noise, and I thought, oh, that's exactly what I needed for, for hunting, and it, sure enough, it followed me around, and I bought it, and it's going to arrive tomorrow. Well played. <laughs> explain how remarketing works and, 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 and what's going on there. And we also talked about this uh, on uh, Bob Regnoris's interview about the, the Facebook advertising too. Well, and I think Bob said a similar thing, right? You, you, let's start at the beginning, right? A hundred people visit your website. Typically, 2% of them, two out of 100 people are actually going to buy that product then and there. Mm -hmm. That leaves 98% of people that had some interest at least. Now, you were very, very interested in those, but you didn't buy on that first visit for whatever reason. Maybe I'm going to do a bit more research later on. Maybe the kids needed some help with the homework, but I didn't buy that first time. And you still are interested in that thing. You still want that thing. But now, if somebody else's ad were to come along, you might go, oh, 
uh, let's wander over here and, and go check that out. So remarketing is a way to get back in front of those previous visitors that, that were on your website and gently remind them that you exist. It's also a great way to not have just one ad. It really bugs me when people just have one remarketing ad that they show over and over and over and over again. Now that's annoying. But if you have half a dozen or a dozen different ads that talk about different benefits to me of using this product, maybe one is a, a story of somebody that donated to your charity. Maybe one is uh, a, a different feature or a benefit. Uh, one is a huge USP that we talked about before and, and reminds me that you're the only people that have this special thing that enables me to turn off the sound. And blah, 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 blah. So one of those ads is going to resonate. We don't know which one. We're not going to pay anything until somebody clicks on that ad, but we're able to put those ads not to the world, not spray and pray like radio advertising back in the day. We're able to only show those ads to people that have been on our website. And we can get much more grandier than that. We could say only people that added a product to the cart or only people that abandoned the cart. What about those? People that added products to the cart, they made it that far, but they haven't bought yet. Let's show some ads to those people tomorrow and the next day and the next, and then stop because we don't want to annoy them. We don't want to show ads to these people for the next six months. But if they were on our site in the last couple of days, they put stuff in the cart, but they didn't buy yet. Let's, let's show them the products that are sitting in their cart with a message. And you know what? Maybe then we'll come back a couple of weeks later and say to them, 20% off. I'm not a fan of discounting personally, but you could show a different message then to those people to, to, to try and get them over the line. Mm -hmm. But it's going to work. It's going to be profitable because you're not showing an ad to everybody that might be interested in noise cancelling headphones. You're only showing ads to people that have already been on your site. So at, at some level, they know you like you trust you. You know, we have this weird memory for, for logos and domain names in the back of our brain somewhere that goes, oh yeah, those guys. I remember them. Yeah. And at that point, they'd built up enough awareness <laughs> mm. that I was starting to, you know, like them. Yeah. And, and why waste that? So they've, they've, they've spent money to get you to that website the first time. Now, some people will argue that organic traffic is free. Yeah, but it's a time and effort thing. You're still spending money creating all of that content, marketing that content. Whether you've run an ad or whether you run an a, a radio ad, you somehow have spent some money getting that person to your website and 98 out of 100 people are going to leave without buying, why wouldn't you want to get back in front of, sure, maybe only eight out of those 98 are ever going to buy from anybody. Maybe the rest are just continually kidding themselves that one day they're going to buy this thing, but oh, I'm just looking for now. I'm not actually going to go spend any money. It might, might be two, three years before they buy that particular thing. But you're able to get back in front of those 98 people and say, hey, remember us. It's a great way to look bigger than you are um, and a great way to, to, again, hit on those different benefits. You don't try and squeeze all of that into one ad, have a few different ads. I used to use the, the metaphor of the FBI, you know, because remarketing ads are following people around the internet, essentially, right? So they've left your website, then they go to other sites within this Google display network. They're on Oprah, they're on CNN, they're checking sports scores on ESPN, and you're following them around. Now, you don't want to follow people the way the creepy people follow people. And that's one weird person. It's very easy to know you're being followed when there's <laughs> one person following you everywhere. You want to follow people the way the FBI follows people. They have 10 different people wandering around and a helicopter. So those are your 10 different ads. You don't 
recognize that you're being followed. You don't feel creeped out if you're seeing a different ad each day and then it stops. We're not showing ads 58 times a day. We're showing one or two and we're showing different ads every time, different benefits, maybe even completely different designs. Still on brand. It's okay for those brand marketers out there. It's, it's still going to be within the brand guidelines, but let's test different ways of doing this. It doesn't have to be the hand-drawn piece of broccoli that everybody has seen on, on a website ever, but there are loads and loads of different ways to do this, and we get to experiment. We get to test, and we get to see what works, and then we can do more of the good and less of the bad. Yeah, the FBI is great. Every time I've been arrested, I had no idea they were following me. <laughs> So, yeah, you talk about the one thing about uh, doing remarketing is you don't want to uh, be creepy. You don't want to let people know they're being remarketed to. But let me ask you something, Mike. When when you all are doing, let's say, these pay-per-click or search mm. ads, do you almost always recommend that clients do remarketing as an adjunct to that? Um, almost always, uh -huh. yes. Okay. Um, certainly for for uh, e-commerce sites doing some sort of you know, selling physical products because of those numbers. Um, yeah, yeah. It, well, it seems like if someone's doing pay-per-click, the logical question, let's say maybe a CEO listing saying, okay, I know you guys are doing pay-per-click. Are we also doing remarketing? And the answer will probably be, uh, yeah, boss, we're doing that too. That's a good question. <laughs> but it seems <laughs> like one goes with the other. But let me, I, we're running out of time, you, but I want to- combine the two. You can combine the two. You can run search ads and then you can even bid differently or show different messages to people that have recently been on your site. So it's not just banner ads that we're talking about with display. It's not just pictures of products. You can treat people searching Google differently based on their previous behavior too. So that's worth yeah. knowing. Well, it also seems like you could even go over to Facebook. <laughs> you could be advertising. Absolutely. Just keep following them around. But okay, so we're talking about that, but um, you have co-authored a book about Google ads, but you've included an entire chapter on email marketing. <laughs> yes. How, and again, this is universal advice, not just for people running Google ads. How can email transform those expensive clicks into long-term profitable customers. This is sort of like another side. You, you, you're doing pay-per-click or the search ads. You want to be thinking about remarketing. Seems like you should also be thinking about doing email marketing. Well, uh, yeah, similar sort of argument, right? You've, you've sent all of these people to your site. You've paid money for that. And if you have a lead generation website, maybe somewhere between 5 and 20% of those people have become a lead, which leaves something like 80, 95% of people that haven't. So remarketing can take care of those. But now let's say one in 10 filled in that little form, but many of those will not be ready to buy right now. We know we have to nurture those people over time. And email is a fantastic way to do that. You've, you've had that value exchange. You've, you've swapped something of value. They've seen enough value in what you offer to go, go on then, yeah, I hate junk, I hate spam, but I'll give you my email address because I really want what you've got. Maybe you, you offered that to me for free. And now you need to help get that person over the line. It's kind of similar to what you said before. You know, The job of the ad is to get people to the site. The job of the site is then to convince. Well, then the job of that email sequence is to get them over the line and get them to understand the value that you offer to sign up for your course or to come in for a meeting or, or sign up for a, a Zoom call these days to, to say, yep, uh, we do want to, to go ahead and, and have a chat with you because it's the, the first point of the of the relationship. Yes, um, you're right. That, if you're trying to sell a $1,000 product, which is easier to get from your prospects? A $1,000 order 
or an email address. The more complex mm. your sales process, the more important it is to break it up into bite-sized steps. So and it's a great chapter on email marketing. So, you know, and, and it really touched on some of the most important things about being human, having some personality. You can't bore people into uh, buying from you. <laughs> That's a good one. So, uh, Mike, one last question I want to ask about how to hire the right Google Ads agency. And this was not an ad for Web Savvy at all. <laughs> but nope. I was surprised that uh, you wrote about, you say hiring the right agency is hard, a lot harder than finding a good accountant or an attorney. And there's a long passage about why your first instinct should not be to go hire somebody, but do it yourself. And you say there's even... Um, you met the founder of a $40 million company the other day. He's the chief shareholder and CEO, and he was still managing his own Google ads because he hadn't mm. found someone with the chops to do it properly. But also, the intelligence that you gain from this, it just seems in, in, invaluable. Can you uh, do, do you surprise a lot of folks when you tell them that your first instinct should be to try and get it going on your own? Well, it, it really depends. This one really depends by by industry. And I think these days, what I would say to a lot of people is have an expert at least work with you. So it shouldn't be an either or. It shouldn't be we do it ourselves or we get an, an agency. Yeah, Most point. of the time these days, it should be some sort of hybrid approach. And that should probably lean more towards the agency at the beginning um, where you're setting everything up. Because if you set the wrong thing up, it is very, very hard to optimize that towards profitability. If you get it set up right now, again, it's not Yellow Pages ad. It's it's not set and forget. There is a lot of ongoing optimization to squeeze the most out of it. So you want to get it set up right, and you shouldn't go and try and learn everything there is to learn about Google Ads. This isn't your full-time job. You're wearing a dozen hats, running around like a headless chook, doing everything else in your business. So it doesn't make sense for you to try and learn all of the little nitty gritty. And I was chatting to a mate at lunch the other day and I said, you know, uh, that person that's trying to do that, they're up against us and other agencies like us. And there is no way that that minnow is, is going to swim in the ocean against all of us. It's just um, not going to happen. Now, once that is set up right, this is where the hybrid thing comes in. You absolutely must be taking the intelligence, the wisdom and the, and the understanding from a well-run Google account and using that not only in your other marketing, but using that in your business. So you can understand by testing different ads and by testing different messaging, testing different offers, you can understand what is most appealing to your market. You can go use that, you know, change what's written on the side of the van or on the back of the business card, change what you say in your onboarding webinar. It, it can inform so many, change what's written on the damn website, on that homepage, you know? <laughs> yes. Oh, but it's a great chapter. It's worth the price of the book. 11 questions to ask before hiring an agency. Again, this is not an ad for your uh, firm, but let me say this though. If any of you listeners do end up hiring Web Savvy, please mention that you heard about him and his firm on the Marketing Group podcast because there might be a bottle of Australian wine in it for me. I'm just saying, you know. Very nice bottle of Shiraz there, yeah. <laughs> so, Mike, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Um, the open-mindedness to test. Uh, if you've used Google Ads in the past and you think, oh, Google Ads doesn't work for me, I would say it's just a tool. The way fire is just a tool. Use fire well, it can toast your marshmallows. Use it badly, it'll burn down your tent. It's just a tool. Google Ads is a tool. So 
if you've tried it before and it didn't work, it's a very, very different tool than it was two, three years ago. Give it another try. And if you are already trying it and you're thinking, this really isn't doing everything that he said it should, get a second pair of eyes over it and, and see if the tool is being used well. Yes, it reminds me of uh, something I heard years and years ago by someone at a Chamber of Commerce uh, function, and he said, advertising doesn't work. I ran an ad once. Nothing happened. <laughs> so I, I, that, really, that really stuck with me. In fact, t- the willingness to test is one of the big mindset guides that you have at the beginning of the book. You really, there's a, a few things on the mindset you need to be effective at that, and that is one of them. So what is just one thing a listener could do today to put in action an idea from the book or, or something we've talked about? Um, if you're not tracking, start tracking. So if, you, if you've thought you are running some ads, but that whole conversion tracking piece, you were scratching your head and going, what are they talking about? Make sure you're tracking some sort of outcome. Um, I would say if you're already up and running with search ads, try one of the other channels. Try YouTube or try shopping. If you're a retailer, please, 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 for all of the kittens in the world, please go try Google Shopping. I see, particularly when I come to the States and speak, I meet so many people um, who are all in on Facebook and they might be spending 100 grand a month on Facebook, but they've never tried Google Shopping. Um, Your customers are on Google every day. Give it a try. It is a fantastic channel. Okay. End of sermon. Great advice. So what uh, books have most inspired your interesting work and uh, career? Oh, my goodness. I'm staring at a bookshelf with a thousand books on, and that's just the ones in the office, never mind the ones at home. Um, so, so many. I think there are so many. I'll, I'll start with where it all began for me. I mean, when I started my first business, which wasn't this, I built it and sold it within 18 months, and that was down to two books. So that was really the start of my entrepreneurial journey in my 20s. And that's The Cash Flow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki and The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, who oh, later on yeah. became a client of ours. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and I actually met Michael and became an E-Myth coach as a result of a Tony Robbins seminar. And one of Tony's companies became a client of ours later on as well. So I've just got to get Kiyosaki. So if anyone's listening <laughs> knows Kiyosaki, I've just got to complete the trifecta and get him as a client one day and I'll be, I'll be a very, very happy boy. Um, yeah, those two books started. Every entrepreneur should every- read the E-Myth. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little dated now, obviously, but um, the core tenants in there are still absolutely applicable. The, the E-Myth was, for me, the, the, the how, I guess, of doing it. And the, and the cash flow quadrant was very much about the why, why you would want to be a, a business owner and an investor rather than an employee or even self-employed. Like That was a, a huge, huge impact on me 20-plus years mm. ago when I was starting that first business. These days... Um, I tend to read more, I guess, uh, leadership books. Um, I'm, I'm going back to fiction a little bit. The last year, I'm reading more fiction. Uh, Jocko Wilnick, I love his stuff. I love his stuff on Audible because uh, he's yeah, this huge Marine, one of the scariest blokes you've ever seen, and he reads he was his a own Navy books. SEAL. He was a Navy he SEAL. Was, yes, yeah. And if he heard his you call him a Marine... He'd probably snap. Oh half. God! Did I call him a marine? I, I Mr. Wilnick, I deeply apologize. Please, <laughs> it was like, a, a extreme ownership. Was that his bestseller? Uh, extreme ownership was the first one. Yeah, there's a, there's a more recent one on uh, sales uh, strategy and uh, tactics of leadership, and uh, I'm drawing a blank on the other one because okay. I can't see it from here. Um, yeah, gosh, I don't even know where to start. Um, I'm. I could dive deep into a lot of data stuff these days. So telling better stories with data um, using tools like BigQuery. Ray Dalio's book, Principles, springs to mind for some mm. bizarre reason. The first part of that 
I loved. The second part was a little kooky for me. Um, but just the idea that he codified um, so much of his decision-making process over many, many, many years, I think m- more people could could benefit from doing that, particularly as we're trying to uh, teach machines how to do more and more of what we do. The, just the idea of codifying why you do what you do, I think is just a really good idea to, to get your mind wrapped around. Yeah, that book has been mentioned several times uh, on the podcast by other authors. Yeah, very popular. So at marketingbookpodcast.com, we'll include links to everything linkable, including the, the books that have been mentioned and your sites and your LinkedIn profile and uh, even some of the other resources that are mentioned in the book, uh, which are supplements to the uh, people who buy the book. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, you can sign up for that even if you haven't bought the book yet. Now, I don't want to get in trouble with Perry Marshall, but... <laughs> well, I just I put a, a video version of uh, the book online recently as well. So um, it's a, a, a huge, long blog post, and it links to about 30, 40 videos that I recorded during lockdown which sort of give a good summary of the key points of the book. So if your listeners are interested in just learning the the fundamentals, so it's my Google Ads Fundamentals course, so G-A-F, G-A-F-course.com. If you head there, you'll get a lot of what you need to know to get started with Google Ads. And I'll make sure to include a link to that at, at, these, uh, at your episode's website page. And for you, dear listener, if you want a copy of the book, Make some noise on LinkedIn, a link to this uh, interview, and make sure to thank Mike for uh, being on the show. The The guests on the show just love it when they hear from people that heard them on the show. And if you learn something new, please let them, let them know uh, what was helpful. And if you're listening on your smartphone right now, listener, and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on the show notes link. The name of the book is Ultimate Guide to Google Ads. The authors are Perry Marshall, Brian Todd, and Mike Rhodes. Mike, thank you very much for joining us on the Marketing Book Podcast. My absolute pleasure, Douglas. Thank you. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who have left an iTunes review, let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast bookmarks and laptop stickers. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world and I'll drop it in the mail. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message indicating you're a listener so I won't mistake you for a spammer and ignore you, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. And remember the words of the entrepreneur and author Jim Rohn, who said, formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.